This is Devin Graves from Psychotic Waltz, and you're listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast. I am Bruce. And I'm Chris. Today, we've got Devin from Psychotic Waltz. It's a band that's been around for a really long time, and they have that cool classic metal sound. Um, I don't know if you've been listening to them at all. I know I've been doing some research on them, and I love it. Yeah, me too. You know, I threw it on before, um, because you know me, I'm always really prepared. So as we were going to this podcast live, I was actually listening to it, and um, mm-hmm. it was mind-numbingly good. I like I've never I'd never heard of these guys before, and it appears as though they were quite a big metal band. You know, back yeah. in the '90s. I definitely remember hearing from them in the past, and I hadn't uh, heard from them in a while, but I guess they didn't do, They were kind of dormant and doing whatever they were doing for a bit. So it'll be nice to talk to them. We'll go ahead and get Devin on the line. Let's do it. Delicious UK. I thought I would be speaking to a cogni bloke. <laughs> Does it say UK? Yeah. I don't even know what that is. It's the United Kingdom. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he is a nice. typical fucking Yankee. He just knows, oh he, he only knows about the United States. Oh my God! Oh, I don't did know I where just... the UK came from? You, whatever. <laughs> it should see, it should say USA here. I would I would have had a heads up. Okay. Yeah, I don't know how that I'm happened. Talking but... to a homeboy. You are. <laughs> what are you so doing? Anyway, in, are you? Do ahead. you live in Austria? Yeah, yeah. I've been here twenty years. Oh I wow! I still don't speak German. Yeah. You still don't speak German. No, not very well. <laughs> so how does that work out with uh, the difference between, you know, the guys out in California and you? Is it just you fly back and forth or is it more no. uh, Internet based? More Internet based. Uh, yeah, we we the only times we meet each other is when we have concerts. You know, in fact, it's like right when the boots hit the soil, that's when we, we just play for the first time. You know, those guys rehearse out there all together. But, you know, I. I rehearse myself alone you know and then when we come together and actually play um usually the very first time we do that is on stage the first night of the whatever really yeah yeah and i guess it's worked out for you all these years so well since yes i mean the the original years i used to be in california you know for the first leg of the career in the 90s we all lived out there right and we practiced all the time together you know and but i still kind of when it came to writing my my vocals and stuff i usually had to take that home and bring a little four track recorder i don't know how old you are if you know what oh, a four yeah. track yes yeah. oh, yeah that's how we started out and i had uh, two tracks of the band just with two microphones and then two tracks left for me and i'd take that home and you know, put the melodies and vocals together and then either either play them that tape or sing it for them, you know. So it's kind of the, the same now when I'm writing my parts. It's just that I get to write to multi-tracks and no, I'm not using the four track anymore. Right. But, but I still, I like to kind of go away and really concentrate on my part. I, I try out four or five different song ideas for, for a song sometimes. And, and I don't want to share anything unless I really love it because I don't want to hear the criticism of what I already know sucks, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So. <clears throat> yeah. Hey, about it. Th- I, have, I have a strange question. You have the best voice quality of anyone that's ever phoned in. What mic are you using? Uh, SM7B. Oh, that explains it. Yeah, yeah it's it's very nice. 
Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I actually don't hear any, you know, feed any, any sound of my own voice. I'm just kind of speaking into the thing, you know, kind of like my Joe Rogan. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> no, no, it's nice. cool. I, I, I run two mics at home here, but, um, like I've never heard the quality come over Skype as good as it is from you right now. Oh, good. To, good to hear so, that. That's good. It's an expensive mic. I mean, it's a good mic. That's for sure. It's it, it's one of the cheapest ones here in this room, but it's one of the best. Oh, really? Do you have your own studio? Yeah, I'm sitting in it. I have a amazing studio. What it, for a home? Yeah, for a home studio, it was pretty damn cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Now you can, I'm I'm, you, a, I'm a recording. Check out, um, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you can check out. You can take a look at it. It's it's called um, Epic Sound Studios dot com you know or epic sound productions dot com either one get you to the same just one word and um you can take a look jesus around. chris is a gear nerd so i think this podcast just took a twist oh oh, oh yeah <laughs> and you got the old control 24 in there uh, uh well it's the c24 it's the newer one well it's newer it's 10 years old yeah are, are you um are you still running on pro tools 10 then no <laughs> i got pro tools 7 what? i, I i'm yeah, I, I have check this out. I have a a Mac G5 oh my Power God. PC with, and I have this ex, this DigiDesign expansion chassis, and it's stuffed with seven Axel cards, <laughs> and and it's um yeah, and the thing just runs like an army tank. I put I put um solid state hard drives in the in the Mac. Yeah, yeah. Maxed out at a massive eight gigabytes of memory, <laughs> but uh, I'm running Pro Tools Seven, and and it it doesn't need all that memory, and and it just kicks ass. I have as many tracks as I want with SSL plugins all over the place. I don't even I don't even think about opening plugins. Like I don't even think about DSP or or processing power. I, I yeah, never those old out. Excel cards were real um, workhorses. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, when you get them for like a penny on the dollar nowadays, because they're obsolete, yeah. that you can put together a rig that used to cost like a <laughs> 50,000 bucks, you can get it now for a couple of hundred, you know, you just got to put up with uh, outdated plugins. It, it, you can't buy any of the new plugins, you know, there's some pretty cool new stuff that's out Yeah, that, that I can't even... You know, anytime I get a email from any plugin manufacturer, I just send it right to the trash because I it it doesn't apply to me. Yeah, know? but it doesn't matter if you're like on your site here. It just says real guitars, real amps, real drums, real players, real music. So you're yeah. basically just using it as a tape machine, right? I mean, I use the processing, but you know, with all those DSP cards, I'm you know I'm not counting. I got super it, look, it's really simple work tools for me. I'm still very old school. It's just basically. Delay, reverb, EQ, compression, pitch shifting. That's really all I work with. The same things you we always used to work with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And it's, it's just a matter of, um, you know, if you learn those, if you spend your time learning those, it's a lot better than jumping ship and getting a new doll every year or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to relearn everything, and basically, it's the same old principles. So, I put my money in hardware. You know, microphones or uh, preamps or uh, or instruments. You know, like just get a real instrument of some sort, a set of congas or whatever, and all of that stuff is going to last you your whole life. Oh, totally. And you know, I we'll talk about your band, but as soon as I see your studio, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna geek right out. 
So, oh yeah, we're here to talk about his band. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. But I just need to know about your mic collection. Uh huh. What? What? Do you, what what's your favorite mic? Well, this this SM7 is works like every time. But I just got this new mic. This uh, it's a Telefunken. Um, they call it the Copperhead. Okay. And it's like they manufactured this thing off of basically off the shelf parts, but but it's like they found some of these old Telefunken tubes that were. I don't know. I think they were used in the first Neumann mic, this thing called a U29, I think. The oh, very wow. Mic. And they found like a, a whole bunch of new old stock of this. So they built a, a mic around that and they just outsourced the transformers and the capsules and, and everything else and put together this mic that's not that expensive. It's like 15, 1600 bucks. But it sounds like a million, man. It sounds like a, it's like a mix between a U forty seven and a Elam two fifty one. It's somewhere like between those two. Really good, really nice microphone. Well, there's something that I always wonder about when people talk about mics when they say something sounds like a U forty seven, because I've used so many U forty sevens and none of them sound anything alike. None of them. None and, of them. And they all sound different. Like the same mic can sound different from day to day. You that's know? very, that's it, very true. It's, I have this one that I've used from the whole Dead Soul Tribe career. My first really good vocal mic I bought was this. The that when when Neumann kind of tried to reissue a Transformerless U forty seven. It's called the M one forty seven. Oh yeah. And this mic gets a lot of hate, but I had fantastic results with it. I really love it. On. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I got some decent preamps and stuff, and but I was um, it was giving me a little noise from time to time, a little yeah. bit of sound like moth wings fluttering or something. Oh yeah, too much condensation on the diaphragm. You think because it doesn't always do it, and I thought, well, I got some projects coming up, and I need to be sure that it's not going to happen. So I bought this this uh, Telefunken, and I really really love that thing. Yeah, that sound is is usually because the diaphragm has moisture on it and um, uh-huh. yeah i don't know how to fix it i I would just send it to a tech when that would happen but um anyways that's geeking out i we let's talk about your band bruce <laughs> <laughs> we've, now we, now that we've lost the audience well i'm sure bruce is going to cut all this out but anyway okay. <laughs> we could do whatever we could leave some but it doesn't matter anyway we can move it to the end as well but anyway so speaking talking about psychotic waltz now that the god-shaped void is done and it's set for release what like two weeks from now three weeks from now uh the 14th of february yeah so maybe a month all right so it's close how do you feel about it and are you satisfied with the outcome it's i we're all really, really happy with the way this thing came out. You know, we took a lot of time with the songs. We, we, we didn't clearly, we didn't rush it. Um, and we did it. So we, we, we created it song by song really. And, and like nurtured and argued over every song until everybody was at peace, you know? And, now, you know, with this, you know, since I'm pretty much living in this studio that I get the luxury of building the song in the writing process, I, I build the performances that you hear, I build that in the writing process. Right. And, and 
so we can really take our time and really like tweak things and work things and work things and obsess. And then, you know, it's not all for nothing. I don't have to then go do it all again. You know, I'm, I'm basically done. They have to do it all again, but not me. Right. That, that's, okay. a, that's a, such a cool part about digital recording these days. Yeah. You know, yeah. often, oftentimes I would get, um, the demo done and then we'd track the drums to the demo. And then once the, production was done i would sometimes get the drummer to redo the parts to the to the finished product you know well actually i i was having a lot of luck doing something similar you know it, uh, from the old school we used to always record drums first i mean and that's how we did this record too um and you build off of the off of the drums but i found when i'm recording other bands you know when you do this stuff with scratch tracks it's kind of like everybody's playing live and maybe there's some some mistakes and you just kind of press on uh, but you don't know who's making the mistakes and yeah. then all of a sudden when you're tracking later you have to contend with those mistakes every time they get repeated and sometimes it is the drummer and you don't know it and and so you live with that drum performance and then you're building on this uh this whole uh, foundation of mistakes. So yeah. I, I like, I like what I find works really well. It's similar to what we did is say, if you use, um, uh, drum programming, you know, yeah, mm -hmm. click track. And cause we always play to a click track anyway. And, and, um, nice. you build a, from a, like a MIDI drum mock-up and you play all the guitars and stuff. And then when you have all the, all the instruments done, you can then, they're all going to be tight because you took the time to track them right and there's no mistakes left in and you played to a, a drum that was like really on. Yeah. So then you can take those drums away and then record a real drummer and you're, you're home free. It's, it's, to me, this seems like a really efficient way of getting it done and getting it done like really tight. Yeah. And we, we sort of did it that way. I mean, we sometimes Dan and Brian would use a, a drum machine or, you know, drum program and, and, uh, demonstrate the rhythms, but, but Norm would then, they would record everything out there in the jam room, just in their practice room, but they'd, you know, mic up all the drums and stuff and, and, um, <clears throat> get me these multi-tracks and, you know, they don't have any acoustic treatment in the room or anything like that. So it's yeah. always it's you know what those kind of recordings are they're usable but you got to really labor over them to get them to sound anything you know presentable so you know i spent a lot of time doing that too and and then um <clears throat> then i would like write my part over it and when my part is all in place i do the best mix i can and then and then we say okay these songs are finished finally after a lot of back and forth and 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 then we take those tracks and record the drums over them again with a, with they record to the demo. Yeah. We build the, the parts from there, like normal redo the drums in the studio. We used, uh, Ulrich wild as an engineer. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was awesome. And, <clears throat> and yeah, he got a really great drum sound and Norman Ward played live together and then when they had that in the can, then they just redid the guitars real quick. And well, real quick. <laughs> and then, and then, um, then I got these tracks back and then I just kind of flew all my vocals in from the, 
from the original sessions. I just flew them in and then decided from there whether it held up or not, you know, and some of the stuff I ended up re-singing and even one song I wrote new lyrics. I changed my mind about the lyrics and wrote them. I had about two weeks to do this before I had to get it to Jens Bogren to mix. And so I'm recording whatever vocals I'm going to re-record or changing whatever I'm going to change in these last two weeks. And at the same time, rehearsing for gigs. Um, we had this Prog Power in uh, Prog Power USA in Atlanta. Oh, yeah. And then we had Prog Power Europe the, the following month and a small little tour along, that went along with that. And during all this time, preparing for these gigs i'm also recording vocals so it was a real stretch um singing a lot like you do in the studio and then still trying to rehearse for a for a concert so it was probably a little too much can i ask you why why didn't you mix the record why did you get someone else to mix it i would have wanted to actually i would have liked to have had the band come out here in fact and i'd like to have had norm record his drums here i have a pretty decent sounding room um, and that would have been like a nice notch in my own belt, you know, to have basically produce this record, you know, myself, but the, the opportunity of having someone like Ulrich Wilde do the recording is <clears throat> probably smart, <laughs> probably smart. And, um, certainly, you know, easier for them cause they don't have to come out here and live here for however long. Yeah. Right. Uh, um, but but also like to have someone like Jens Bogren do the mixing yeah, would absolutely. also, it would also really inform me like what, what really could be possible with these recordings. Cause now I'm sitting here uh, with these multi-tracks. I have the same multi-tracks that Yen has. They, they came to me. I put them in the proper order, you know, with all my vocals finalized and all that stuff, sent those tracks to him. He mixed it, but I still have these tracks. And now I can kind of like school myself a little bit and, and like kind of one day open this up and kind of like see what I can get out of it and, and try to mix it myself just for fun. And then like, listen to hit what he'd done and listen to what I've done and see, Oh my God, is there this huge gap, you know? And if there is, and I assume that there would be, um, that I could kind of work on closing that gap and see where those differences are It'd be a really uh, unique, um, perspective. Right. That's so really I think cool. it, I, I think that it would be a no brainer for the quality of the album to, to have a, a top guy do it. Um, I would rather mix it myself than have some other guy mixing, you know, some other studio guy who I don't know. But if there's somebody who's like a really proven entity, it, it seemed like a, a smart move just for the album's sake. But but also there was that advantage that it, it would help me with my own education in, in record production. Right. That makes sense. And how did you end up in Austria from California? Well, a level do that to a man love, yeah did you say love will do that to a man <laughs> yeah 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 i hear you yep. i'm i'm in i'm in dc but i came from vancouver canada so oh oh wow it's a long ways away but love will do yeah. that to you yeah yeah in my case uh it turned out not you know not to last much <clears throat> once we got here but um 
<clears throat> since then, you know, I found a new uh, wife and now I have a family and kids and all that stuff. So it's a little weird that I ended up on the other side of the planet. But <clears throat> but once I have all these kids, I have six kids. So <clears throat> yeah. Oh, wow. And, and this is all under the same roof here. And so once I find myself with, with this, then I, I figure, well, uh, I guess that's how life is now. I'm out here. That's it. Yeah. That's cool. Do you guys have any uh, plans to uh, do a proper tour? Or is it mostly just like one-offs here and there? Well, I think we're going to, we have to kind of do some sort of touring just to make it even <clears throat> some sort of vi viable <clears throat> financially viable because one gig <clears throat> if it's a good gig then we kind of take the hit and do it but otherwise <clears throat> we need to play several gigs just to kind of make some of this money back because the plane flights alone oh yeah know, it's, it's oh yeah all this money so just to get it to even pay off we have to have, everybody's got to take their vacation times in and and um you know we go and and hit the road. I think we're going to do this in October in, uh, <clears throat> out here in Europe. Oh, okay, cool. cool. So, so that's a little after the festival circuit then, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're talking, I mean, I don't know what I should say because, uh, I thought that we were going to be too late for the festivals, uh, this summer, but it looks like one, one is getting discussed right now. That's a pretty darn good one and a pretty darn oh, good. good. And so we'll see how that goes. I, I really hope that we can do it. How hard is it to get um, uh, got people from America, like the proper paperwork to get over to Europe and tour? Well, I think they only need a passport, really. And as long as they're not staying, <clears throat> as long as they're not staying longer than, I guess, three months, that they can they can come and do that. It's never been uh, oh, any wow. sort of that's, legal issue. That's so different. <laughs> yeah oh i know i know man yeah because we were just talking in the last podcast that we just recorded before you and um like you know to go from canada to america or america to canada or america to mexico there's all these kind of legal hurdles as you know that you have to kind of jump through and it costs a lot of money to to get all that done yeah <clears throat> yeah it's 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 kind of like i guess some sort of mafia, you know, they, they, <laughs> want, they want their piece of the, of the pie. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bruce. I was just going to say, so let me just go back to the, uh, to the writing process for a second. Is there something you want your fans to take away from after listening to a psychotic waltz record? Well, you know, uh, there's a lot of layers to that. Like if you talking about like lyrically and stuff like this but yeah. but basically what i really want is just people to get either tears or goosebumps at some point and if we can achieve that <clears throat> that to me is the highest uh, that music can bring a person you know and <clears throat> so i'm trying to just kind of reach reach for that just it's a emotional response okay and lastly, all I have left is you've been at this for, like we talked about, a long time. So obviously you've got generations of fans coming to see your shows. Uh, that must be pretty cool to see, you know, people like my age bring in their kids and the next generation to see a psychotic waltz show, right? Well, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. People <clears throat> come from a, a long way. Uh, but right now we're... <clears throat> 
we're kind of experiencing it on a, a little different level. It's not so much <clears throat> that it's being handed down, at least not to, not that I can see, but <clears throat> when we did this Power of Metal tour, um, <clears throat> that was kind of the litmus test because we didn't even know if we had a fan base still. I mean, I, we, I, knew, I knew there was somebody out there, but I didn't know if it was like it used to be. <clears throat> right. And so when we did Power of Metal, that was the perfect chance to kind of find out because we wouldn't fall on our asses because there's Symphony X and Nevermore on the bill. And, um, you know, there's <clears throat> going to be an audience there no matter what. So, right. And, and what we found was that we were able to kind of reach out and pull from that audience. And, and there were some of our fans, I you can call them, they, they were there, but but it was more about pulling new people and it seemed a lot easier to do it this time around. You know, we used to not have that, uh, kind of ease. We would play big festivals and it wouldn't be a life changing event. You know, it would still be right. our little, little, uh, click. And then, you know, we'd play in front of all these people who, well, I guess maybe they enjoy it or maybe they're indifferent to it or whatever, but it wasn't like new people coming going, wow. But on Power of Metal, it was like some 20-year-old person. I mean, every every single concert, this would happen where someone would come up to us and they'd say, wow, you know, I've I've never... I didn't, I never heard of you before. Uh, I came to see, I don't know, this band or that band. And, right. uh, but, but they would have all of our CDs in their hand, like all, all four of them. Like, wow. But you guys, I, I just bought all your CDs. That's cool. And Hey man, thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. Good luck with the record. Thank you. You're very welcome by the way. And hopefully, uh, you know, maybe you'll get a chance to play the U S and we'll get to see you over here. Oh, I'd love to do that. Awesome. All right, man. Be well. All right, man. Take care. Take care. Thanks. Thank you. Thank right, you. Bye. Bye. You know, and now, now they're grown up and they kind of get this music right away. And right. so, so it's kind of encouraging and that, and it was that that made us decide, Hey, maybe this is worth doing, you know? And that's when we decided to, you know, make another album and, and press on. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. So cool. Anything else? Anything else, Chris? I don't, man. Thanks for taking the time with us today. I really, I really appreciate it, and and I appreciate the technical conversation too. <laughs> oh yeah, that's yeah. I can go off on that shit. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA Podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others. Photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy. And I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com and I'll see you there.